Hey y'all, this is Bits, and I'm here to request that if you've been enjoying the pod so far, to please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Between episodes, you can come hang out with us over on Instagram as well, at Compliments to the Chef Pod, where we drop memes, episode previews, and recaps. If you're feeling extra bad, you can send us an email at complimentspod at gmail.com. Okay, that's it. Now back to the episode. Welcome back to Compliments to the Chef, Season 6, Episode 10, Las Vegas, baby. Woo! Viva Las Vegas, viva la compliments to the chef pod. Amen, sister. Anyway, we're very excited to recap the episode, but before that, we have two episodes worth of leftovers to get through because we did not include leftovers in Restaurant Wars, but we hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kendra because we're still on cloud nine from it. So we're Lesson. just going to... Woohoo! We're just going to jump right into these leftovers. First one that we want to call out is actually not so much a leftover as it is a fan write-in, which is incredible that we have like a fan. How cool Amazing. is that? Very so, cool. This comes to us from someone on Instagram who is neither one of our mothers, which is incredible. <laughs> this is like a fan, I think, who actually found us through whatever like miserable ad targeting we're doing. But all to say, thank you so much for writing in. Everyone, please communicate with us via DM. We love it. We engage. We read. We're ready to jam on there. But so um, this comes to us as a correction to a leftover or our where are they now about Preeti Mistry, who was eliminated back in episode three, I believe. And we had said that Preeti started a company called Spice Walla, which were spice mixes. But actually, Preeti didn't start that company. She was just doing a collaboration with it. Spice Walla was uh, founded by James Beard award-winning chef Marwan Irani, and it is a spice company. We got that right, but thank you so much for writing in for that correction, and we really look forward to engaging with all of you in the DMs. Love it. Love that correction. Love getting um, write-ins from the fans. Yeah, definitely, as Nancy said, hit us up. Uh, compliments to the Chef Pod on Instagram uh, with anything else we will inevitably get wrong, um, including the next leftover, which was uh, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the movie Whiplash in uh, the context of describing the dynamic between the brothers Voltaggi and their former chef boss. So Charlie Palmer. We, Charlie Palmer, <laughs> baby, get that steak out. Um, so yes, the starring actor was J.K. Simmons, not John C. Riley, which... If you know both of these people, and if you're basically 99% of the population, you'll find that very funny that we got those two <laughs> mixed up. There's actually nothing in common between them. They're both funny guys, I guess. But J.K. Simmons actually ended up winning the Oscar for that role. Fun fact. Uh, so glad to clear the air on that one. Yeah. Um, I'm just laughing because John C. Riley is like every stoner comedy that we grew up watching. <laughs> Could not be more of the polar opposite from J.K. Simmons and Whiplash. <laughs> like a psychodrama about like like emotional abuse. <laughs> Actually, I would love to see the version of that movie with John C. Riley though. <laughs> and just and just John C. Riley as his stepbrother's character. Like that. Love that bits. Incredible catch by us. So next up we have a leftover <laughs> where 
I had told Bits that Hillary is actually a popular men's name in the UK, which she did not believe. But a quick Google search will have you know that Hillary is a men's name. So Hillary uh, has its roots in the Greek language, and it means cheerful or merry. And or uh, it comes from uh, the root for gracious. And it is a popular name, Ilaria, in its female form, and Ilario in the masculine form. Famous Ilarias include Hillary Baldwin of Boston, Massachusetts, <laughs> not of Spain. <laughs> a cucumber. Anyway, <laughs> we can leftover Hillary Baldwin for next episode if we want. Um, but anyway, okay, so... That is the female version, Ilaria. Ilario is the male version. And I have listed out a few famous male Hillary's from history whom everyone should know. And, you know, I'm sure in your history textbook, you read of Hillary of Galata, the famous sixth century hermit. <laughs> Constantly trying to live up to her. I mean, him. him. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of this whole exercise i'm with him <laughs> you can't, you can't convince me you can't convince me i don't see any photographic evidence here okay well will the following names convince you hillary ben british politician hillary Makasa, zambian footballer hillary butler american footballer mm. and hillary yago kenyan steeplechase runner is that evidence enough for you bits i I think the case is closed. <laughs> okay, fine. So we have convinced you. Um, what is next? I think now we're moving on to leftovers from Restaurant Wars. Yes. So only a couple here. Um, so last episode in our conversation with Kendra, we mentioned something called a Billy Bee sauce. So just a quick uh, TLDR on that. It's essentially like a creamy French mussel soup. So there's a little bit of herbs, some leeks, some dry white wine. Sounds very tasty. I'll have to add it to the rotation. Um, and then, Nancy, I think you maybe had some updates from yes. Ash. Yes. Okay, so another example of the power of social media. Ashley Folk, a.k.a. Ash, found us on Instagram, which is so cool. It's so cool. Love it. And um, we had a little conversation with him in the DMs. Once again, we reply, we respond, DM us. But we asked Ash what he was up to. We wanted to make sure that we were factually accurate. And as it turns out, we did not have the most up-to-date CV for Ashley Falk. So we're just going to read you what he told us about what he's up to. He said, I left Hill Country Hospitality a few years ago and joined Fox Lifestyle Hospitality, where we are opening a new concept cooking the food I love. It's named after my childhood nickname, Abigail's. Yes, my given nickname is, or my given name is Ashley, but my nickname was Abigail. So that's what Ash is up to. I love it. Oh, love to hear from him. He seems like a great guy. And thank you so much, Ash, for just writing in and saying hey. And holding um, down the fort in New York City, represent. Represent, absolutely. Um, and I think like the very last thing before we peel off is just like, again, if you're enjoying the pod, um, leave us some love with a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple. Uh, we'd just love to kind of hear from you guys. It's always fun to just engage with folks who are following along at home. 
Um, but what do you think, Nancy? Should we get into the episode? I think let's begin. Wow, Nancy. Okay, so I'll keep my thoughts to myself, but I want to hear uh, amuse-bouche reactions. And for those following along at home, you'll notice we uh, changed the name of this segment to be a little bit clearer from when we talk about the actual quickfire challenge and our reactions to that, and our sort of like initial burning reactions to the episode, which will henceforth be known as uh, amuse-bouche reactions. So I digress. Nancy, what are your amuse-bouche reactions to this episode, episode 10? Giddy. I loved this episode. Oh love my to hear gosh. It, love to hear it. I am just tickled by the whole thing. I thought the quick fire was fun. I thought the elimination challenge was fun with a twist. And I just, amuse-bouche is, I'm amused. Ugh, yes. I I honestly, not to just cut you off, but like, I couldn't agree more. I thought this was a fun episode from beginning to end. It was like whimsical. It was fun. It was, you know, it started off, everybody's coming out of restaurant wards a little like, uh, like, you know, road hard, put away wet, as our friend Joan likes to say. Um, And I think you know, spirits were really lifted when we got into the quick fire. Um, you saw a little bit of a drop off as we moved into the elimination challenge, people not managing their time well, people not managing that sort of twist that comes up well. Um, but we'll of course dive into all of that. Um, I will say last thing on just kind of the amuse-bouche reaction. I just thought there was zinger after one-liner after zinger this episode. Like people were on fire. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to kind of dive into the details here so what do you say how do we uh how, do, how about we head into quick fire i love it i'm giddy okay so quick fire we enter the top chef kitchen to see padma standing next to paul bartolota yes and i did a little bit of digging on him super interesting guy so i'll kind of go like front to back which is always the best advice um <laughs> So starting with the kind of most recent thing, and this is sort of where we find Bartolota in this episode, um, he was actually selected by Steve Wynn of Wynn Resorts to conceptualize, uh, develop, and run the hotel's Italian restaurant, which was uh, Bartolota Creative, um, Bartolota Restaurant de Mer. So it's located in the Wynn, Las Vegas, obviously. Home of... The David Guetta pool party. Yeah, we're back. David Guetta. I wonder if David Guetta ate there. Um, probably. I wonder if David Guetta listens to this podcast and understands how much airtime we're giving him. <laughs> it's definitely about his pool party. more than some of the chef testants. Like, I would say on a per minute basis. Um, so anyways, I think the most interesting fact about him is that um, he's actually most well known for uh, importing fresh caught fish from the Mediterranean. So he actually imports, and at the time of this writing, um, imported one to one and a half tons of seafood per week and served it within 19 to 48 hours of being caught. What? Which is absolutely insane. So obviously there's a ton of effort, like, you know, distribution-wise and just, like, logistics-wise that goes into this. Um, He actually puts in a ton of effort to like track the shipment of that fish, though there's like chips that get put into the fish to monitor temperatures. 
Um, they have a tank on site at the facility that is actually overseen by a marine biologist. So it's a whole thing. Um, That's uh, sorry, I was not expecting that at all. He's probably like single handedly creating like a business that no one had before. Oh, well, that's crazy you say that because his restaurant was one of only 12 restaurants in the world um, and the only in the Western Hemisphere to serve fresh caught langoustines. What? Yes. So it's something that was like written about at, this says quite at length in the Departures magazine um, back in 2011. But yeah, absolutely insane. He's received a James Beard nomination for uh, Best New Restaurant for Bartolota. Um, and uh, also a James Beard Foundation Award for Best Chef Southwest. So, you know, and that's his most recent accolades. He also was uh, the head chef and ran uh, Spiaggia in Chicago for most of the 90s from 1991 to 2000. Um, before that, he started in New York, worked at a couple restaurants there, uh, New York, San Domenico, and Palio. Not super familiar with either of those, but of course we know Spiaggia. Um, we have a, con- a chef testant in season 15, who's famously executive chef at Spiaggia. I was about to say, Joe Flam. Joe Flam! The Riz King of Top Chef. Absolute Riz King. We love of- Joe Flam. We love him. Anyways, um, so that's just a little bit about our guest judge, which I will say as we kind of move into, like, let's talk about the challenge itself. Yeah. I thought it was kind of a funny pairing with the with the challenge. Do you want to talk us through, like, what exactly that challenge was? Yes. So our, uh, we have another sponsored quickfire challenge, and this one is sponsored by TV Guide. Do you remember TV My Guide? Yes. Channel I bet 38. kids these days do not know what TV Guide is. A- and, like, it just auto-progressed. Like, you just had to sit there and wait for the channel to come back up again. Yes, but then do you also remember the physical TV guide that they were sold oh, in wow. the supermarket yeah. at the checkout aisle? Crazy. I really think that any Gen Zers listening to the pod, please let us know if you know what TV guide is. Yeah. Um, I'll give you I also $20. Wanna, I bet it's a website. <laughs> I'll give you $20. Um, oh, anyway, so we have a TV guide sponsored quick fire and the idea is to reimagine the tv dinner and we have a knife draw our favorite thing where the chefs draw knives uh to discover which tv show they will be inspired by and this was really fun it was sort of an odd mix of tv shows i wonder if they like had to get the rights to some but some of the tv shows they had were like incredibly heavy hitters and others were sort of like throwaways I think there was a little bit of a multi-generational nod there, but... um, They were appealing to a wide audience at that. But yes. I'll list out who had what show. Yes. So we have Kevin with The Sopranos. That was the first knife out of there. I was like, HBO? Okay. It's not TV. HBO has the movies. Exactly. So then we have Eli with Gilligan's Island, Jen with The Flintstones, Brief note, I love that Jen was like, my favorite thing about the Flintstones is that, <laughs> I that too. Um, Pebbles has a cute boyfriend. <laughs> carries a club around. <laughs> I love that, dude. She was like, it could be fun. <laughs> Pulls her by her hair. It could it be fun. It was weird and cheeky, but I loved it. Loved it. So then we have Robin with Sesame Street. Brian with MASH. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he seemed to know a lot about MASH. I wonder if anyone else had gotten the MASH knife, if they had, would have known what to do with it. Probably just mashed potatoes, which Probably. he did. Oh, don't even but, get me started. Yeah, it was. Okay. And then we have Mike Isabella with Seinfeld and Michael Voltaggio with Cheers. Yeah. 
Uh, super fun, like crazy assortment of shows. First question, Nancy, was your uh, household a TV dinner household? No. Okay. My household, we did not have a television in our um, kitchen until I think I was in high school. Wow. Okay. It was a big, like no TV at the dinner, like, no entertainment at the dinner table besides conversation Love in that. my house growing up. For a long time, the only TV in my, like we, our living room didn't have a TV. Like a formal living room doesn't have a television in it. Right. And so uh, we didn't have that. Okay. Yeah. We had TV. I want to go on record. Like I wasn't like a bookish <laughs> child. We had TV. Just not I was the, allowed to watch Harry Potter. Just not in the kitchen or in the living room or in bedrooms. There's no TV allowed in the bedroom. Okay. We had like a TV room. Okay. That we called the cold room because it didn't have heat. It was a whole thing. Wow. Okay. So you're you're not comfortable in there. You're kind of like you want to be in there. You want to get in and get out. Sorry. It eventually had heat. Oh, when okay, we first sure. moved in, it didn't have heat. Sure. And the name the cold room just stuck. <laughs> I can't. Childhood stuff is weird. It's so weird, dude. It's very weird. Um, I will I will say we were a big. Well, I won't say we were a big TV dinner household, but I have distinct memories of eating TV dinners. Um, like the frozen ones. Yeah, oh, I honestly I never had one. Yeah, I think that's where I get my love of like having no food touch on the plate from. Like everything has its proper place. I didn't I, like when stuff okay. mixed. Um, so yeah, so we did that. The, the way that they do like the brownies on these like dinners, it's just fascinating to me that they can cook everything on this tray all at once at the same, you know, in the microwave and it's somehow, I mean, it doesn't work, but it's like <laughs> edible. Um, so yeah, we were that, but we also had TVs and literally, if there was a, if there was a place to put a TV, there was a TV on it. So, um, it's I been my it. companion this Eventually my parents did put a TV in their bedroom and then that was the only place where we watched TV. And my mom spent the past like 15 years trying to get us to stop watching TV in their room <laughs> because she was like, this is my bedroom. Like we, all five of us would just be in my parents' bed it's, watching TV. It it's like, no cold room, but it'll do. <laughs> Like, it was a bit Willy Wonka-esque. And so then my mom, it, like, starting when I was in probably middle school, started progressively putting more and more TVs in the house to try to get us out to of lure. her room to lure us. So that's when we got the one in the kitchen. That's when we okay. put in the living room. And none of them, we still only watch TV in their room. When the vibes are right, it's hard, to, it's hard, hard, right. To, uh, it's hard to walk away. Okay, the other thing I want to say is that Mike Isabella says that he's never watched Seinfeld. Okay, I know. And usually that doesn't bother me, except that it's him. Like, I think Seinfeld, I won't say Seinfeld's like, um, there are people that I know and love, I won't say who, who just don't find Seinfeld that funny. Well, okay, I have a confession to make. Which is? Despite being a Jew from the Upper West Side. <laughs> right. I've never seen Seinfeld. Oh my god! I couldn't believe that Mike Isabella and I have something in that common. That is actually the most upsetting part. It was yeah. so horrifying watching, and I was like, "Oh my god, shit, Mike Isabella." Yeah, I see you. Well, okay, and I want to talk about first of all, like maybe thinking about the food a little bit too, as we <laughs> rib him. But I did not understand anything about that plate being Seinfeld. Like the easiest thing you could do would be to like go for some like inspired New York. Plate. Well, I've never seen Seinfeld, but here's what I know about Seinfeld. Also, by the way, brief aside, like, I have made a lot of jokes that people tell me are Seinfeld bits, and I'm like, well, that just means that I'm Jerry Seinfeld, because I've organically right. come up with these gripes right. that he made billions of dollars off Right. Of. You're like Larry David e- of Exactly. Our so, like, maybe, am I the Larry David of our generation? Maybe. Am I a voice of a generation? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lena Dunham. Anyway, so, um... Just very quickly, I have never seen Seinfeld, but I here's what I know about it. 
They eat in a diner a lot. Yes. There's a bit about soup. Yes. There's a bit about black and white cookies. Correct. And I think that's all I know. From a I mean, that should be plenty in plenty order to, to make the a challenge. tray of food. Yeah, so that was a little frustrating. Um, Brian, Mash, I know we were chatting about, like, if there was anybody else who drew that knife, they would be pretty fucked, actually. Um, but I just thought this was so perfect for him. Mashed potatoes and meatloaf, it's like him on a plate. It's know, just like, like, oh, comfort food. It was so well good. Done. But also, like, it was kind of the only option. So yeah. he finally had an excuse yeah. for doing mashed potatoes and meat. Um, but... I, Padma's definitely catching on to the meat and potatoes of it all. Uh-huh. Like, she started making comments like, meat and potatoes from Brian. Yeah, but he threw, she did throw them in a, mmm. They yeah. were like, they were some mmms Oh, he was on the top. He was on right. the top. Right. Um, okay, other dishes. We have, um, so Jen for the Flintstones made a chicken roulade with garlic cream, pea salad, and peaches. She was looking for something with a bone, which I yeah. appreciated. But I felt didn't bad that that well. didn't pan out, because that, like, obviously is a very tight vision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a bummer that that didn't work. Um, We've got Robin, who gets Sesame Street. I like that she put the cookie on for Cookie Monster. Totally. That was sweet. Totally. Um, and she did some burger with an egg Oh, right. In it. I was like, wait, what was the egg for? It was big, big bird at bird Which egg. Which is kind of morbid. Yeah, that's kind of gross. And to put it in the middle of like a pile of meat. It did not, not cool. look good to me. No. And it also didn't look good to the judges because she was on the bottom with Jen. Yeah. Um, um, but on the top, we have Brian for MASH and then Kevin. Kevin! Oh, I love how just like... Okay, this actually reminds me. Um, so, what... I made note of this, and I'm curious if you did too, but what was maybe the craziest insight that you heard coming from a chef about, like, their childhood or family dynamic as it relates to, like... Oh, is this about how Kevin said that, like, his grandma had a person who delivered TV meals? Well, I mean, that... Okay, so maybe he had a couple. Because I I actually have heard, like, from several people, I was like, wow, oh, that's interesting. But Kevin made a comment that was like, his grandma still cooks for their whole family, like breakfast for their whole family every day that's that's so nice but also like like logistically i guess they live very close to each other they must i mean i the more i learn about him the more i love him he's got the regulation horseshoe court in his front lawn (laughs) while his family are competition barbecue participants oh my gosh his grandma makes breakfast for his whole family every single day every day this man is incredible yeah i love him Love him, love him. Um, other kind of fun things we learned. Um, oh, I wrote it down somewhere, but uh, I think I really enjoyed. Honestly, like maybe that was it. Okay, was it all <laughs> Kevin that had the crazy stuff? I guess it was. Kevin's always got crazy stuff. Very quickly, here's what other people made. Eli made a macadamia nut mushroom sweet potato puree um, with a tropical salad. Uh, we have Mike Isabella for his Seinfeld made sausage and peppers. No. Mushrooms, warm fruit salad. Why is, it, is this like the warm mus- the warm mayonnaise that Brian mm-hmm. keeps doing? I don't want a warm fruit salad. And then Michael Voltaggio got cheers. His was great. A great interpretation. Yeah. He had chicken parm, cherry pie, bar food. Loved it. Loved. That was fab. So yeah, really, really fun quick fire. Super fun, and, and they had to make a lot of food. Yeah, they made a they made like four to five different components, mm-hmm. um, and then of course Kevin wins. He takes home a basically his recipe will be uh, converted into a recipe for a Top Chef 
Schwann's home dinner, like frozen I guess dinner? that's the brand. Yeah. I, I think Swans or Swan, uh, Schwann's. I forget. Um, um, it's honestly sorry. not even important enough for me. Sponsor Randy. us. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsor us, Schwann's. But anyway, um, okay, let's move on to the main event. Yes. Um, okay, this one got my spidey senses tingling because the second Padma laid that challenge out, I was like, Something is afoot. This is too simple. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't even a challenge. It was just like, you're going to be cooking in Tom Colicchio's restaurant, Graft. Uh, and that's it. Go home. I think the other tell was like the, the scale, right? So it's like, you'll be cooking for four judges and seven guests. And they never cook for that few of people unless it's like a multi-course tasting menu. So I was like, okay, something's going to happen That's here. a good point. And it, there's the lack of specifics. I really wonder if they themselves were like a bit tipped off right. by how vague it was. It's possible that like they were told by production like, okay, you're going to go to his restaurant. They're going to be like cuts of beef. You get right. to pick from what you want. Like I do wonder if production just gave them a fake challenge that they thought they were doing because it was so vague. Okay, so vague and also so genuine. And I... I it only ratcheted up because they get there and they see a just walk-in freezer full of beautiful meats, like beautiful seafood. Already butchered. There was one where yes. it was like, this whole rack of lamb is already clean. <laughs> yes. like, it's so cruel. And also like, you know, Brian Voltaggio is like, steakhouse challenge. Oh my like, God. What? I get to do steak and potatoes again. There was definitely like, you could tell like when they were still at the at the house talking about this, like a you know, comfort with meat contingency and a discomfort with meat. And by and large, I would say, like, most people are pretty comfortable with it at this point. Like, we've seen it from a lot of these chefs. So, um, but okay, we digress because the rug does get pulled out in the form of Natalie Portman, who at the time was, like, kind of at the apex of being Natalie Portman, I would yes, say. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the chef's faces, like... Yes. Gaga. They are bugging yes. out. Now, something that like I will continue to revisit is I think that everybody on set was sort of freaking out about Natalie Portman, even Padma, even Tom. Like, yeah. The vibe among the hosts and judges was like incredibly awkward. This yes, entire it episode. Was, I think it they was. were all very starstruck and like. But really- she was also like kind of like pink the whole time. Yeah. Like especially in the kitchen, I think she could just tell how awkward it was. Um, speaking of like funny faces, I also think that um, I wrote I wrote here to ask you like who you thought had the had the best V face. By which I mean like. When they when she drops the bomb that she's a vegetarian because it the camera just like lands on each chef and you get to see their pure unadulterated fear in that moment as they realize all of their planning has just like gone up in flames. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, I I don't remember specifically, but I mean Eli's reaction. He was like, I don't think that vegetarians are lesser than others, but like they are. Yeah, he's like so like red. Kitchen Confidential once, and, like, that's his personality. Oh, my God. Wait, but who's the face that I need to look out for? Okay, well, I personally thought that Kevin's face was just amazing because you could tell he was, like, really trying to hide it. But right under the surface, there was such a simmering anxiety and, like, panic in his eyes. The pork man himself. The pork man himself, which we, you know, quickly find out that he also knows his way around a veggie so he really need not be worried but 
But yeah, I think a uh, super fun little twist we have. We got like a little bit of a celebrity guest. Yes. Well, I do want to, speaking of our celebrity guest, every she needs no introduction. Natalie Portman, everybody knows her. But I do think that because, and I, you know, I feel bad for bringing this up, but because the focus of the episode is her vegetarianism, I do feel we need to revisit her emotional affair with Jonathan Safran Foer. What is this? <gasps> You don't know about this? No. Okay, Jonathan Safran Foer is an American... I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Foyer? Jonathan Safran Foyer? It's like got an O and an E and a U in it. Um, Mm. But uh, so he is an American author who wrote all... I think he wrote Eating Animals. He's like a food journalist. Oh, okay. And his whole thing was about like going vegan and local food and like sustainability and cooking, yada, yada, yada. He's a real thought leader around that. And somehow he got, oh, I think Natalie Portman optioned his book, Eating Animals, for a script. And so they became close. Okay. And then proceeded to have, like, a month-long email correspondence where they, like, wrote... I'm going to left over this because this okay, is good. Yeah. Like, I... Because I need to get some pull quotes. But I do know the, like, the bones of the story, pun intended, which is... They would write these long emails to each other that were these, like, philosophical ramblings about food and their emotions. And eventually it got to the point where Jonathan Safran Foyer um, left his wife because he thought that Natalie Portman was going to leave her husband and they were going to run off together. God, what? And then she didn't. Oh. And she was like, dude, I never said that. Like, <laughs> homie, I was just talking about food. I literally just wanted to talk to you about my philosophical musings. Damn, that's tough. You know you're like a woman when you can't even have an email conversation without someone thinking you want to marry them. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> and it's Natalie Portman. Like, yeah. You know, this guy was like, dude, I've hooked Natalie Portman. Like, I'm going to live out the rest of my life with Princess Amidala or whatever her name is. Anyway, so I will left over that for, with some pull quotes. I'm not going to give the whole backstory okay. again. But um, there are some hilariously pretentious musings in those oh, emails brother. that got okay. out of it. Anyway, um, so yes, she's very big in the sustainable food movement, vegetarianism. I think she comes on in a later season as gluten-free at a restaurant wars. So she's all about food that. trends and cool. that. But um, I will say Eli's excitement, you could just see the immediate boner kill of being a vegetarian he's like (laughs) oh man don't meet your heroes (laughs) don't meet your heroes honestly i I had that thought too because it's like you do well in this challenge great every time you watch something with natalie portman you're gonna be thinking she thought my food was good she ate my conversely if she dunks on your food you're never gonna want to watch anything that she's in again and as eli mentioned she's famously in well actually it's like not that great of the star wars like prequel trilogy i guess that's an okay one to miss um anyways all right so let's get into the food uh because it's pretty obvious pretty early on uh who kind of is like immediately starting strong either they got the vegetable or like Mm -hmm. the kind of like you know main protein legume etc that they wanted other people are having to like negotiate a little bit ending up maybe with the shorter end of the stick uh, so people who felt confident right out of the gate, of course, Michael Vataggio no always feels confident no matter what he does 
Robin, of course, says, I love vegetarians. I think that they're an oppressed class or like whatever she said. Of course. <laughs> and so she always just feels blindly confident about yes. everything. She also does so much. She even says lots of components, but they're going to work really well together. I'm like, famous last words. You say that every time. You yes. put way too much shit on the plate. Sometimes it does work for her. Like, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. But yeah. Yep. Then we have Brian, who's unfazed by everything. And Kevin, who reveals that he's Catholic, he observes Lent, and that he uh, is a vegetarian for a month of the year. So these are the people who are unfazed by it. Yep. People who are phased by it, Jen, definitely. Yes. Eli, definitely. Um, and I think, oh, another person who's not phased by it. Mike Isabella, oh, who says, I cook vegetarian all the time. I got this in the bag. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He's the only one whose um, lack of being phased, perhaps, is misguided. Yeah. Let's zoom in on him, too, because I think, like, I, I kind of felt for him, to be honest, because it's sort of this, when you fall into the trap of your own sort of what you think in the moment as creative genius, it's very hard to remove those blinders. Mm -hmm. So he pretty immediately zeroes in on, I'm going to take these leaks, these like big leaks, and cut them into coins and basically do a leak scallop. Which conceptually is kind of interesting, very cool. Um, But as is later illustrated and as is very clear throughout as he's having problems because the temperature of the um simmer is like uneven because the pot is uneven uh so the heat's not distributed well um it's just it's not a replacement for a protein yes which they he kept saying like i think he equated size of vegetable to protein yeah and it just didn't translate at all so he and we'll get back to him and what the judges thought of his dish but Hey, I think that's a really good point. He was so blindly confident. Yeah. He never questioned himself ever. And um, perhaps could have benefited from that. Let's talk about Robin. Her stuffed squash blossom beet carpaccio with fresh garbanzo beans and charmoula. Yeah. This plate was crazy. Yeah. It had so many colors, so many textures, and it just even... The image of it was overwhelming. It was a veritable rainbow, which could have been pretty. Like, I do think that she got the colors of vegetables and that joy that vegetables bring to the plate. Right. But without even tasting it, you could tell it was a hot mess. Yeah. And that definitely came out when the judges started tasting it. Um, she also ran out of time. Ran she out of time again. Plates. Yeah. Again, um, I agree. Tom and Gail both kind of comment on like there just is a salt and seasoning issue to it. The By the way. The is really salty. Um, just not balanced. Yes. And what a treat to get the lovely Gail Simmons back on our screen. Yes. We love the lovely Gail Simmons. The contrast between the lovely Gail Simmons and Toby. The not lovely. The not lovely <laughs> is just incredible. I really, this season has given me such an appreciation for the, honestly, the femininity that Gail brings yeah. to Top Chef that I think even Padma doesn't. And that's yeah. not, no knock on Padma. I think Padma brings authority and she brings an academic element to it. But Gail really brings a warmth yeah. to Top Chef that I have never appreciated as that's much as I That's kind of a season. great observation. Yeah, she has a very, I, I think she's also very much the glue of the sort of judging panel where... Mm-hmm. She can kind of play in both worlds of like Tom and Padma, but also has a very like 
how do I put it? Um, not flowery, but just a very beautiful way of describing tastes and textures and yeah, I, I enjoy like her commentary more than I don't. Yeah, She's for sure. The lovely Gail Simmons she, for a she reason. She lives it. Yes. She lives it. She lives her values of being lovely. Okay, moving on. Let's keep talking about food. We have Eli who won the orange peel toss. I a detail <laughs> I that, that I loved. <laughs> Eli won the orange peel toss for the Japanese eggplants. And yeah. he made the a radish salad with eggplant, creamed lentils, and a garlic puree. I think this dish sounds delicious to me. Yeah. I would absolutely love to eat this. I was not as impressed with the plating as everyone else was. I thought the plating was actually a bit odd. I honestly, I think it was very much a, of the moment yes. plating. I, that's I had the same thought because I was like, I, I did really like the way that the greens and the salad was arranged. I thought that was like very beautiful. Um, but yeah, the the eggplant and the lentils were just wah, wah, wah. yeah, like it yeah. really felt early aughts. Yeah, the way that that was plated. Was. Then we have Michael Valtaggio. No wait. <laughs> Can we go back to because one of my favorite quotes from Eli was he comes back in the kitchen after serving the judges and says be careful Natalie has like 10 really hot friends <laughs> which yeah, that was a delay <laughs> oh my god oh actually one of Natalie's really hot friends I thought was a real firecracker she was the one who was all the way on the end when um Padma made a joke that was sort of like vaguely about fellatio Mm. and she was like it gets bigger in your mouth and then the girl was like that's what tends to happen like she just sort of whipped out <laughs> this crazy one-liner that oh Tom my God. clearly like lost his mind at but she had a lot of spunk and I appreciated that about her because yes. everyone was so awkward at that yeah table. you needed somebody to just kind of like okay be the be the the, the 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 like lightning rod of amusement yes. I appreciated that <laughs> yeah you know, she's got like seven hot friends out there <laughs> yeah. one of whom was like a man um, nothing wrong with that, so but I don't counts. think Eli swings that way because he says he has a girlfriend. Um, okay, so to Mike Isabella, or sorry, to Mike Voltaggio. Yes. Asparagus one million ways. And the real like curveball of his dish was the banana polenta. Mm, I love the sound of it. I, I love that texture. I love that flavor. It is a little baby food, but that's what I love. It was out of left field and... I love that he said, like, I just want Natalie to be like, I don't know what I'm eating, but I like it. And kind of that's what happened. He had the exact effect he wanted. Yes, totally did. She's like, so much humor. I'm like, what's going on? Um, yeah, so I think it was a really successful dish. I do think uh, Bar- Bartolota was a little bit off put by the, like, he lumps like of it. banana. Yeah, he didn't like that. I don't think he appreciated the bastardation, bastardization of the yeah. form. But... We got another Picasso comparison we out of did. this. did. That's two Picassos for Mike V. Honestly, maybe he is our Picasso. Maybe, maybe. we should all be watching. Maybe he for is Picasso. a Picasso of a generation. Of a generation. <laughs> <laughs> um, Title of ep. Amazing. Okay, so moving on to his brother Brian, we'd have an artichoke barragool, um, confit of shallot, wild asparagus, and fennel puree. Uh, I actually took a moment to look up what a baragul is. Thank you. Baragul. Baragul. Um, it is actually, excuse me, it is a, a springtime meal that is frequently made in Provence, the region of Provence, France. Um, and essentially it's taking young artichokes, braising them in white wine and olive oil with some onions and herbs and aromatics, carrots. It's very light and bright. Um, that sounds delicious. So yeah, it develops a very nice flavor with the wine and all of this sort of like 
flavors meeting in the pot, so to speak. Um, but yeah, very, very kind of like famous recipe in that region. So it seems like he was pretty on the money as far as preparation goes. Uh, he did not get every element on the plate. He didn't, which was a bummer. And what what did he miss? I was something that sure. was fried. Okay. Um, and it was very funny. So it was something fried, a component. And the funniest was there's this little clip after the challenge is done, where Mike Voltaggio uh, takes a bite of it. Oh yeah. And he goes, and he's like, "Oh, you didn't get that on the plate." And Brian says, "No, I didn't." He goes, "It's fine. It's full of grease anyway." Oh like, my god. He cannot help himself but criticize <laughs> his brother. He can't. He can't. I don't know. That's just how they're hardwired. It's really funny. But um, last but not least, we have Kevin who serves a duo of mushrooms, smoked kale, candied garlic, and turnip puree. And this was the resounding favorite of the night. I think they all felt that it was hearty. It did not feel as though you... It did not feel like a side dish. Oh, sorry. We haven't actually really talked about Jen's. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to Jen. We'll come back to Jen. Um, But it felt hearty. And um, some people thought the smoke was a bit too much on the kale, but for the most part, everyone felt it was delicious. Yeah. And so, love to see Kevin really. I personally don't think that you can go too smoky on something. I don't know. I like I like the smoke. Who am I to... Oh, on the opposite. Like, smoke is a, for me, a very controlled flavor. Oh, I can't okay. have, like, I don't, I prefer roast turkey over smoked. Okay. I, I, I think I have a bigger problem with, like, char. I don't like char flavor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We're opposites. Interesting. I don't mind a char. But last but not least, actually this time, we have Jen who made a charred eggplant braised fennel and coriander. Um, she was incredibly nervous at the table, yes. which I thought was interesting. I, I, I mean, I look, I would get nervous too, and maybe I just hold Jen on such a pedestal that I'm like, how could she ever get nervous? She's Jen Carroll. Right. But um, yeah, she clearly was... I honestly have to think that, like, once you get down to a certain number of people, I think the reality is maybe, like, setting in that, okay, wow, I've turned a corner here, I'm... In the single digits as far as, like, finalists, past restaurant wars, I just think the pressure just demonstrably ratchets up. And especially after, I think, her nerves got a little shook on the restaurant wars piece. Um, one, a couple things I noticed. One, um, did you see it while she was prepping? I think it was, I think it was lemongrass. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was, um, oh, maybe it was the no, she was like slapping something really hard on the on the counter. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, and I was wondering what that was, if that was like tenderizing it or if she was just like taking out some like focused rage. But I'll have to follow up on exactly what was happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, one other note, she did with her plate a verjunage. Also didn't know what nage was, so I looked that up as well. Um, French word for a flavored liquid used for poaching delicate foods, usually seafood. So, again, we have, like, a white wine, vegetable, herb, uh, broth, essentially. Um, and then you'll reduce that, maybe add some butter, maybe add some cream, and create, like, a sauce. Still sounds delicious. Really I delicious. I think that with Jen's, and we'll get to this when we get to judges' table, her dish clearly was good. Like, it tasted good. Right. No one really had any problems. It just, the size of it was the problem. Yeah. And as a result, it did not fulfill the challenge. Yeah. But... I don't think there was really anything that wrong with her dish. That's true. Yeah, she said it was like a like a step up from a, an amuse-bouche. Yeah, exactly, um, which is pretty funny. Yeah, well, I also think it bears noting that we're now getting into sort of the back seven, like, you know, and so the conversation about what doesn't work is going to be a lot more narrowed. Yes. And uh, 
precise versus it being very easy to like write off an entire plate. So we're probably going to get into the place where we're critiquing good dishes. Absolutely. This is at this point, it's about adherence to the challenge. There's yeah. no clear miss. Mm-hmm. You get very few big swings and misses at this point in the competition. Right. There's always Robin, so we'll see. Right. But um, in general, yeah, I think our critique is going to look very different at this point in time. It won't be as like comical. It'll be more just nuanced. Yeah. Um, but so those are all the dishes. And we have a bit of like a interim between judges table and the challenge. And that is a scene of all of the chefs eating dinner at Bartolota in Las Vegas. And again, the most interesting man on earth, Kevin. <laughs> Did you catch this? No. So they're at this dinner and clearly the chef sent every single dish on the menu and they're eating themselves silly. Right. And they're all commenting about how full they are. And Kevin's like, I can eat large amounts of food. Like, <laughs> I am definitely still hungry. And then he releases the tidbit that he once ate 130 chicken wings in one hour. What? I must have gotten up and like walked away. I can't believe I missed that. Oh my God. He is the most interesting man He's in the world. He's so interesting. I mean, and he drops this stuff like it's nothing. Like, yeah. Kevin, please come on the pod. Like, we need to talk to you. I have so many questions. I honestly don't even want to ask questions. I just want to, like, see what comes up organically, like, with just some gentle, like, push. He's um, the type of person who, and he'd be like, I love that scarf. And he'll be like, I actually got this scarf from, like, a Sherpa on Mount Everest. Right. Or, He's like, my, my grandmother knits scarves for everybody. Well, yeah, that's more like With it. breakfast. Um, um, but so we leave the dinner at uh, Chef Bartolotta's restaurant. And we go to judges' table, where we've alluded to all of this, but on the top we have Kevin, Michael Voltaggio, and Eli. Everybody knocked it out of the park. They made substantial dishes that were interesting and exciting. And I, I do think that, like, Eli was, like, you know, well, let's break down kind of, like, emotionally where all these three are at, kind of coming out. So Kevin takes the win. He's pretty gobsmacked about it. Like, he again wins, like, a sick prize. He has like, a whole new kitchen. Yeah, GE appliances. Like, this isn't some cookster fucking <laughs> promo. R.I.P. cookster. Um, so, yeah, amazing win. Uh, Eli, frankly, I think is just, like, just a fan to be nominated. Like, thanks for remembering I'm here kind of deal. And Mike V is salty. He's pissed. So pissed. He's a real, like... I, I have in my notes, Mike V is such a sore loser. The competition is clearly getting to him. He's, like, annoyed that people are being rewarded. Yeah, I think I, I, I get it. I get it, honestly. Like, and, you know, he's, we're watching this, he's, like, what, 28? Like, he, these people are young. Like, I don't know. To have, like, the level of emotional intelligence to cook at that caliber be around people like just being in that setting has to just turn you into like a version of yourself that sometimes you're like whoa yes but um but yeah I think definitely the salt was there uh for him this episode I think you know in his defense too like he is going out on a limb like I wish there was maybe a little bit more uh points for creativity and just pushing yourself because I think sometimes like I agree with him like he's sort of often the the furthest out on the limb um, but I think always Kevin is just there to create a very flavorful, like well-balanced, yeah. delicious plate. And that's like really hard to compete with. It's a good point. Yeah. He's clearly exceptional. He takes risks and he almost never misses. So yeah. I, I too understand the frustration. Yeah. Um, and yeah, 
doing that for like weeks on end and being in that house with those people must be miserable. And like no slide. He probably didn't get any slide or pool time. So that's probably like got him really tightly wound. Absolutely. But so um, in the bottom, we have Robin, Jen, and Mike Isabella. Yes. Let's go in that order. So Robin, once again, on the bottom, explaining everything that every single idea that has ever popped into her head about this dish. And the Judges are getting whiplash. Yeah. Like J.K. Simmons. Whiplash. Like John C. Riley. <laughs> and, um, you know, they just, I think that they have gotten to the end of their rope with this same song and dance. Yeah. They're just like, we get it. You had a lot of ideas. You couldn't focus yourself. Yeah. As a result, your dish was subpar. Yep. It's like, okay, next. Some people Same didn't old. get beans. Like, that was also some drama there. Yeah, and I'm tired of her, like, I know I can do better. I wasn't yeah. pleased. It's like... Yep. Like, if you know that every point in time, then, like, yeah, what are you still doing here? And you know what is interesting with this? Um, we should also dig in a little bit on one of our future episodes, just some speculation for season 21. But I, I think I have read that they are maybe evolving the rules a little bit. Such that there's, I, I, I may have ac- actually come across this when I was researching Tom's perspective on Padma as like a, a peer uh, judge. And he had mentioned with season 21 coming, wanting to maybe revisit some of the ways that the show works. One of the things he touched on was that there should be some continuation, like episode to episode as far as like performance goes. Like it shouldn't just like hard reset every episode. I don't know. I think I maybe misspoke too quickly to say like that's definitely part of season 21. But I know his head was like kind of floating that as he was reflecting on like how does this show evolve in an era uh, post Padma. Interesting. Well, I think that we can't even leftover that because we're just going to have to wait until... just have to wait. Tune in March 20th. Yay! And then listen to us on March 21st. My gosh. Yeah, you better take off work. Um, okay. So then next up we have Jen, who, again, there was really, the only criticism criticism of her dish was the size. Yeah. Yep. Um, didn't see those two hours on the plate. I think, honestly, like, nothing really else to say on Jen. They had the same comment on, on Mike, I, if we, you know, flip over to him. Just the time was not reflected on what was served. And Tom is like, you know, Mike put the leeks on the plate. Tom was like, they were raw. You know, leeks cook like 20 minutes to sear and maybe they don't look like a scallop, but like they're cooked. Um, and <laughs> what's her name? Gail. Oh my God. Gail with the like just. You, you know that leeks aren't protein. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> oh and my God. Because like, honestly, the way he was talking, it was not clear. Yeah. I mean, she really talked down to him and in a way that was deserved. <laughs> it was <laughs> like, you realize it's not a protein Right? right? Like, like she was concerned. Like, he didn't get it. It's so true. Uh, yeah, his his countenance was not great. They sort of clocked him for being arrogant. Yeah. They did not like the way he spoke. Um, and... Yeah, he, he was nervous, too. Like, in the kitchen after serving, he was like, I, I think he kind of knew something was up. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, he probably just was like, well, if Robin's, like, there, I'm, I'm probably safe. Yes. And... He wasn't. He was not. Goodbye, Mike Isabella. Now, here's what I will say. I do think Robin deserved to go home more than Mike. And again, mm-hmm. I understand that, like, the show is not cumulative. It's each day you present your dish. But at a certain point, like, 
Robin has made the same mistake every single episode. Yeah. And I, so I, I'm, I do not think she deserves the bullying she received on the show. Mm-hmm. I think that's really hard to watch, especially in the year 2024, watching this like grown woman cancer survivor get like beat up on for no reason. Yeah. Is very weird. Very unsettling. But I do think she deserves to go. She she has overstayed her welcome. Yeah. She has the, she makes the same mistake every time. She does not learn. Her dishes are consistently bad. And I actually think her offense on this challenge was greater than Mike's. Yeah. I really do. Sure, his food didn't taste good and it wasn't cooked super well. But hers was just bizarre. And yeah. we've seen this from her before. And I think that... Really, Mike deserves some points for creativity here. Yeah, I agree. I I, I agree, actually. I, I agree never thought that. I would come to the defense of Mike Isabella. No, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, Yeah, I fully agree. I think, you know, we'll, we'll certainly get some weird vibes in the house next episode because I can just, you know, we can both tell, like, that house is not going to be happy that Robin is still there. Um, So I'm looking forward to everybody making themselves look like absolute a-holes in that (laughs) regard um but yeah okay I would love to let's we kind of alluded to this a few episodes ago when we were chatting about some of our like early superlative predictions but uh Mike I Mike Isabella where is he now because I think of all of the chefs he certainly has the most infamous where are they now yes absolutely so trigger warning Discussion of sexual misconduct. Um, but, so that sort of gives away a lot of it. Uh, Mike Isabella, to quote my co-host Bits, up to no good. A Google search of Mike Isabella will return the very first search result of a an article titled, From Top Chef to Stardom, sorry, From Top Chef Stardom to Bankruptcy, The Rise and Fall of Mike Isabella. Ooh, this is a headline of the article. So we all know where this is going. Mike Isabella, uh, around uh, 2018, fell on hard times. Essentially, he was facing bankruptcy at almost every single one of his restaurants. Uh, His most recent restaurant at the time, or sorry, his first restaurant ever, Graffiato, um, saw its weekly revenue shrink from $50,000 to $5,000 a week. Wow. This was pre-COVID, too. Jeez. Um, and yes, that's revenue. That's not even like profit. Wow. I went to business school. Um, then we have um, Mike Isabella's most ambitious project was the Isabella Eatery Emporium. Oh my God. <laughs> Anything with an emporium afterwards, it's like you should sell carpets. Like candy Emporium. Oh, yeah, that's true. You got wonked. <laughs> yeah, you got wonked. Anyway, so that uh, the Emporium, which I think had like nine different stalls. Um, monthly revenue dropped from $1 million to $300,000. And then um, he also got slapped with a very public sexual harassment hmm. lawsuit, which he credits for the real downfall of his empire. He says that before the lawsuit, um, he had, quote, I had about 20 other fucking deals on the table before this lawsuit. So he blames you know, this woman's lawsuit on his demise. Classic. Uh, I'll get to what the lawsuit is in a second, but I'm going to talk about the bankruptcy first. Um, but it seems like from a business perspective, Mike Isabella had no idea what he was doing. Um, 
He opened restaurants very quickly. He did not have a business person in charge. The people mm. sort of on the board of his corporation kept asking him to hire mm-hmm. CEOs with experience, and he refused every time. Uh, so he just was an incredibly misguided businessman and did not know what he was doing. Um, and then a lot of allegations came out about not only him, but the kitchens and the environments that he ran in all wow. of his restaurants. So the suit was brought by a woman named, whose last name is Karis, C-A-R-A, sorry, C-A-R-A-S. Um, and her suit alleges that, um, Isabella and his partners called her bitch and whore, commented on the size of her buttocks, and touched her without permission frequently. She was then fired, and on December 5th, after Isabella told a male sous chef to sleep with her, she filed her suit. Karis declined to comment for these stories, and her lawyer because, uh, and so did her lawyer because of their settlement agreement, which I'll get to in a second. Um, so, it's a pretty graphic story, yeah, wow. and I would imagine that is a very hostile work environment. And there are allegations, although no other lawsuits, but there have been allegations from other women who have spoken up that they had similar experiences both with Mike and with his partners. Hmm. Um, One woman said that his partner, Nicholas Pagonis, would frequently grab her and that cooks in his kitchen would make lewd gestures at the women. Yikes. So this was a culture that he was letting thrive in all of his restaurants, which... I hate to say it is no surprise based on the right. way he speaks about women, based on his bravado, his like complete delusion about his talent right. on this show. I'm sure he's a very talented chef, but like he is just so arrogant. Yeah. That, I am in no way surprised that he was okay with this type of behavior. Yeah. No, no real shocks. Honestly, this is probably the least shocking where the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this was really, really public because after Top Chef, he really to his credit, capitalized on his fame. Right. And he built a restaurant empire. That empire was clearly on shaky ground. Yeah, still um, Financial ground. But um, after the lawsuit, his reputation took an immediate hit. He was disqualified from all awards. Um, He lost all of his concession stands at national parks. Apparently that was part of his business. And um, all uh, many of his chefs departed his restaurants. Wow, what 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 kind of concession stands? I don't know. That's crazy. Super left. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, wow, that, that's a crazy. Well, but yeah. So we're pretty much that's the rise and fall of Mike Jeez. Isabella. He flew very close to the sun, and he unfortunately paid the price. The thing that does make me sad in these scenarios is that there are people at those restaurants who lost their jobs. Yeah, as a of result course. of that, people who were just collateral damage in his bad behavior. Right. Right. Um. That in no way excuses it. That in no way says that it should have been allowed to go on. Um, it's just incredible the havoc that one man can wreak on other people's yeah. lives directly and indirectly. Yeah. It's a shame. Well put. Well put. Um, well, thank you for for diving into that. Um, but to, okay, to on a happier note, Bits. Mike Isabella's leeks, carrot puree, and potatoes. Would you eat that? No, I mean, I love leeks, but like there wasn't really anything interesting going on there. I could, you, that plate just like looked cold. And you know sad. what I mean? Yeah, like it looked like it was not going to be the right temperature, it even if it was seasoned. ideal. Like, yeah. The potatoes were a bit translucent. Everything was muted. Like it was a very muted palette. I know like the one person said like, oh, that's so colorful. It's like, this isn't very, I don't know. It looks very chalky to me. Yes, and Gail said that it smelled like cabbage. I believe it. I, I believe it. I think it. it yeah, I also so, would not eat that. Dish. We're not eating that. No. 
Um, but let's round this episode out with Judgy Table. Yes. Okay. I can't wait because I've actually not had one for a few episodes. I've been like, I don't know, maybe just too optimistic for this segment, too positive, but I'm ready to complain. Um, well, so here we go, Bits. Your Judgy Table one minute on the clock starts now. Okay. My issue is when people make comments about oh, he won with a this? I could have cooked that in 20 minutes. Like, well, you didn't, and he did. And it was better than whatever you cooked over two hours. Like, when Mike Voltaggio comes out with that, when he's, like, pissed off at Kevin for winning because he's, like, Kevin, like, made some mushrooms and kale, and, like, I could have made that shit in 20 minutes. It's like, okay, it kind of doesn't matter how fast you make it if it tastes better. Like... I'm just so over that as like a weird excuse and to me like it it totally disregards like the power of editing and smart choices when it comes to like preparing a great plate like just because you have all of this time doesn't mean it needs to be used and I don't know I just find that like very annoying and and I'm not back in the in the kitchen watching like a chef prepare my meal to say like he didn't use the full 45 minutes that I've been waiting to make that like I don't know. So anyways, it's like not even a big gripe, but it's just something that irritates me. Like, because it happens over and over, I feel like, on Top Chef. I think it's totally a big gripe. And I think it's valid. I think it's like, we saw Mike Isabella say it earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. It just, it's lazy. And it's a way of passing blame onto other people. Like, refusing to take accountability. They all could have cooked all of it. Like, that's why you're all on Top Chef. Like, I could have cooked that. Yeah, you're right. You probably could have, but he had the idea and he cooked it and he did it better than whatever you did. So whatever. So that's my judgy table. Nancy, would love to hear yours. Here is Nancy DeSilva's judgy table. Go. This is a personal one and it has nothing to do with the episode. It has nothing to do with Top Chef. It has everything to do with an email that I received this morning from a restaurant that I had a reservation at in New York City called Ketchy Shuby. Yes, I will name you on air. On December 1st, I had a reservation at Ketchy Shuby. On February 21st, sorry to let you all know what day we record this podcast. On February 21st, I received an email with a cancellation fee for my reservation of $300. Unbelievable. That is a lot of money. I canceled within the like grounds of cancellation and this reservation was three months ago i this is all to say i am absolutely sick of reservation culture in new york city i think it is a racket yes i hate having to pay for reservations i think it's disgusting i just want to enjoy good food i hate waking up at 10 a.m or at 9 a.m to be exactly to click the button at 10 a.m to make sure that i got the reservation at the hottest spot in town just to like have a terrible service experience and essentially be made fun of for wanting to eat there in the first place (laughs) i'm done with it i hate it i hate it this Resi fee, I'm over my minute. It's just driving me crazy. The arrogance, the, like, it's essentially saying, like, thanks for wanting to eat at our restaurant. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing about, like, it being a New York restaurant is, like, it's not that they didn't fill that four top or two top or whatever it was. Like, there's no way that So they, they basically doubled their, you know, takeaway for that particular two hours. That is the price of an entire meal. Right. That I, just one person, paid. Right. Right. It is egregious and I'm pissed off and catchy shooby. You should know what the fuck you're doing. And if you're going to charge someone a cancellation fee, do it the day of not three months later. Yeah, that's some clerical. I hope 
that your cash flow is in the negative and that's why you did that. <laughs> and I hope you close. And I hope you enjoyed my $300. I hope it paid one of your waiters a wage for one night. Honestly, I hope it did go to something as good as that. Probably didn't though. I went to the manager's coke habit. I said it. Said it. You heard it here. Heard it here. I've never eaten there. I never will. Anyway, so that's my judgy table. I'm pretty pissed about it. Um, but here we are. Here so we are. We've come to the end of our episode. We have. And just to end it on a joyous note, um, we can't believe we've done 10 of these. My goodness. Um, just a few like reminders, housekeeping. Um, we humbly request that if you have been listening and enjoying the pod to please uh, rate or review us on your podcast listening app of your choice, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can also hit us up, as Nancy mentioned, on Instagram at compliments to the chef pod uh, or by email, which is complimentspod at gmail.com complimentspod at gmail.com we would love to hear your live takes your feedback anything we got right wrong etc um we will also have some uh guest interviews on the horizon as well i hope you enjoyed last week's um we hope to continue in that tradition so you'll uh You'll hopefully be hearing from more than me and Nancy um, as we move into season 21. Got some fun stuff lined up. Ooh, what a teaser. Teaser. So yeah, stick around because we love you and we love Top Chef. We love Top Chef. So from compliments to the chef, have a great week. Bye. Bye.